Good morning, thanks for joining us at ABC Church Online. I'm Lori Camp and I'm the Connections Coordinator. We wanna make sure today that we can get to know you and you can get to know us. So if you could take a minute to fill out the Connections card on the website, you can also add any prayer requests that you have on there because we'd be happy to pray for you throughout the week. We wanna let you know we have some groups coming up in the fall. We're really excited about the variety of groups that we have and we have one special one that I wanna point out today. This Sunday, we're gonna start out a group that's in Spanish. It's actually gonna be part in English and part in Spanish. We're gonna meet in the library at 1010. So if you either speak Spanish or wanna learn Spanish, we're gonna use this as a chance to reach out to our community and get to know some of the Spanish speakers in our church better. So we would love to have you join us. Um, you can find out more information by emailing me at church or just give the church office a call. The second thing we wanna let you know about is we are still working with the church plant in Kansas to help raise money for them, for their new church and for the housing that they're gonna provide. We are raising $25,000 and we're about a third of the way there. So if you can help us in that by giving, we would appreciate that. Um, you can go to the GoFund to give. And also if you're interested in going, a lot of people have been asking when we're gonna have a missions trip and this is it, we're having one. It's gonna be August 14th that weekend. So if you'd like to join us, call the church office really soon so that we can work on travel arrangements. We want to thank you for your time and that you're choosing to spend it with us. We miss you and we hope we get to see you in person soon. Thanks. Well, have you ever been working through something and it was something hard and real and significant and someone in your life gave you some kind of advice and the advice they gave you made it really obvious that they really don't get what you're going through. Like what they said was just overly simplistic or too reductive um, or something and you're like, okay, they clearly don't get it. It reminds me of being a kid when you were playing Little League and the funniest piece of advice you could hear from your coach from the dugout as you're up to bat, what would they say? They'd say, keep your eye on the ball and you'd be like, Thanks, coach. I hadn't thought about keeping my eye on the ball. That's so helpful. Thank you. Uh, but then you take that idea into adulthood and it's you working through something real. Um, someone gives you some piece of advice and it's so reductive that it is almost offensive to you. The joke for me and my wife is that no matter what like ailment or what problem she has, uh, no matter what, what I tell her is you need to drink more water. Like I've cracked the code for all health and wellness and the secret is hydration. She could literally be like shot in the arm and passing out from blood loss and I'd be like, babe, 11 cups a day for women at least. Come on, like it's, it's simple, it's basic. That's the secret. Sometimes to me, if I'm honest, that's what scripture sounds like. It's like, I feel like I'm struggling with something so hard and real and complicated and then Jesus will say something so simple and brief about it, where I'm like, really? That's all you have to say? Okay, coach, thanks, I hadn't thought about that. I guess I'll try keeping my eye on the ball. So here's what he says about anxiety. In Matthew chapter six, 25 through 34, I'll read this and I say all that to call out the potential cynicism and frustration that I think we all may feel when we get to a passage like this and just ask us to postpone that judgment and that cynicism for a minute while I read and then let's talk more about it. So Matthew 6, 25 through 34 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So if you read that, if you hear that, and it has that tone of frustration, like, okay, keep your eye on the ball. If that feels frustrating to you, you're not alone. But I do think one of the reasons this feels frustrating to us at times is because we may have been conditioned to hear it in a more dismissive tone than how Jesus said it and how he lived it. Also, I think we really need to clarify some things that we're going to say because this is really sensitive and it's caused a lot of hurt. But a lot of times I don't think the hurt is because you necessarily disagreed with someone about it, but because you weren't talking about the same thing. So a little bit into my process over the last week or two, I had a really hard time figuring out what I'm supposed to talk about today based on the passage alone. Biblically, it's really difficult to say exactly what Jesus means when he says the word anxious. He uses a Greek word called merimnao. The NIV translates it as worry. King James calls it thought or care. Take no thought, take no care. ESV calls it anxiety. In the book of Job, we see a word that's called anguish in Job 7:11 that literally means narrowness of spirit, which is a lot more like the Latin root of the word where we get anxiety. It comes from a word ango, which means to constrict, and angustus, which means narrow. So he says literally this, this narrowness of spirit, which gets translated, the Hebrew, into anguish. So not only biblically am I left with some question marks, um, we have a few apples, you could say, but then culturally, we have to add in a couple different oranges to that mix. So historically, it's not like we have this long unanimous understanding where everybody agrees on what it could potentially mean. There were Greek philosophers like Hippocrates in 400 BC who said it was like an irrational phobia. There's Latin philosophers like Cicero and Seneca who highlighted the connection between a troubled mind and a diseased body, saying that anxiety, the word angor, was in fact a disorder, but still there wasn't much written about medical treatment for it. Both Stoics and Epicureans, for example, they offered advice that's basically similar to today's mindfulness meditation. Epicurus said the path to happiness is to reach what they called ataraxia, which meant a worry-free mind that's all about hyper-focusing on the present moment rather than thinking about the past or the future. Interestingly similar to what Jesus says when he says today has enough trouble of its own. One of Epicurus's disciples, Lucretius, wrote a book with a lot of Epicurus' thought in it called The Nature of Things, where he said this line, men were lords in riches and that they yet, oh yet, within the home, still had the anxious heart, anxia corda, which vexed life unpausingly with torments of the mind. Isn't that fascinating? 
Interestingly though, over the next several centuries, there wasn't a lot written about it. You don't see anxiety language popping up in most of the literature. Fast forward though to the 1600s and 1700s, the idea starts pop popping back up more and more. You read about anxiety and even panic attacks, but really just as symptoms of other disorders, not as disorders themselves. Ultimately, fast forward all the way to 1980, it wasn't until then that General Anxiety Disorder, GAD, first appeared in the diagnostic manual and became its own thing. Now, 40 years after that, we entered 2020. And if you didn't wrestle with some level of anxiety before, you probably do now. You've probably felt that in a deep way where you might have put your finger on it for the first time in your life over the last two years or so. And so I think this is deep, real anxiety. So there's the problem. There's kind of the whole like hodgepodge of problem for me mentally. We have to acknowledge that there's a wide spectrum of what you could mean when you say anxiety. And clarity is so important because there's so much hurt associated with the word itself. Maybe you've heard this passage taught before and it just felt like someone was heaping spiritual guilt on your shoulders for something that you can't control. And I don't think they were being malicious, probably, but they probably just weren't being clear. So you might have come to the interaction thinking, okay, I have anxiety, which means I have a clinically diagnosed situation because the chemicals in my body and my brain don't work like they should. And they were saying, you need to stop worrying and trust the Lord. And you thought, okay, wow, I guess I'm even more broken than I thought I was. See, it can mean, and it has meant, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But what was Jesus talking about in Matthew 6? What was Jesus talking about? That's the most important question. And my best interpretation, my best guess, is that Jesus here is saying truth that's for everyone, but it's not about everything. It's for everyone, but it's not about everything. See, we're all somewhere on this spectrum of severity with anxiety. Maybe you dabble in it, but you're not dominated by it. So accountability for you and your anxiety is pretty simple. You can read this text, you can pray, you can discipline your thoughts a little bit better, and you're good. That works for you. But maybe for someone else, it's completely different. Maybe for you, your anxiety is this physiological reality because of some kind of trauma or extreme stress or postpartum or any number of things. And for you, addressing anxiety means the help of doctors and medicine, which are a gift from the Lord. And if that's you, I hope you never feel the guilt of trying to fix something that you can't control because someone says you just don't have enough faith. Still, no matter where you're at on that spectrum of severity, my question is, is there something in this text for you? Because I do think Jesus is saying truth that is for everyone. No matter your severity, I think there's basically these two ideas. There's things that you can control and there's things that you can't control. And I think Jesus is speaking to what you can control here. I don't think he ever heaped spiritual burdens on people for things that they can't do anything about. He hated when the Pharisees did that. You see lines and scenes where he calls them out saying, you're placing burdens on their shoulders that they were never meant to carry. So I think if you looked at the whole of Jesus' teaching and the way that he lived, I don't think we would hear this dismissive, punitive tone from him. 
I think we'd hear him giving us both comfort and conviction by saying with anxiety, here's the idea. I think he would say to validate the feeling, but to challenge the thought. Validate the feeling, but challenge the thought. Both are so important to be validated, to be seen and comforted and understood in your anxiety, but still to be challenged in it. Don't be resigned to it. Don't believe the lie that anxiety has to have the last word in your life. God wants to challenge you in it. So those are the two parts of the sermon today. Validate the feeling, challenge the thought. First thing, validate the feeling. Point one, you need to know that you are not alone. You are not alone. One leading psychiatrist said that the anxiety epidemic will prove to be the mental health issue of our time. In a 2020 survey, respondents showed that 60% of Americans currently experienced some level of anxiety. 30% experienced an actual uh, diagnosable disorder. And that was before the last two years. It's been estimated that COVID alone triggered a 25% increase in anxiety worldwide. That means that if you uh, look around and if you're sitting in one of the rooms at some point and you look around at 10 people sitting around you, that means at least six of them have experienced real feelings of anxiety this week. And three of them at least are closer to the severe side of that spectrum. You need to know that you are not alone, not in our world today, but also you would not have been alone in the world that Jesus was speaking to. Look at what he says. He says, don't be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will put on. Now, it's basically food and clothing. Don't worry about food, don't worry about clothing. And I think we could read this in a couple different ways. I think we could come to it with some level of chronological snobbery. That's kind of, you know, because we think we are um, years past them that we are smarter or more developed. So some chronological snobbery and think, okay, yeah, it's easy for Jesus to say that to such a primitive, basic culture when all they had to worry about was food and clothing. But my life is so much more complicated than that. There's so many, it's such a web of complicated, complex issues. It's more than food and clothing. But I think we have to realize that he wasn't trying to make an exhaustive list of potential stressors for that time, as if to say, these are the only two things people could potentially be stressed about. No, I think he's making a statement about the anxious condition of the human heart. It is so part and parcel with our humanity that even the most basic and simple things will cause you to stress and doubt. Because ever since the fall, our hearts and our minds are just bent towards worry and anxiety. The more I look at this passage, I just don't hear Jesus shaking his finger in anger and saying, only a fool would be worried about this. I really hear solidarity. It's like he's putting his arm around your shoulder and just saying, there's a lot to be anxious about, isn't there? He really gets it. You need to know that you're not alone. You also need to know, number two, that you are not a spiritual failure. You are not a spiritual failure in moments of anxiety. You're not the first child of God to wrestle deeply with anxiety and to be loved by God with anxiety and to be walked with God through anxiety. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus went to Martha's house and Mary sat at his feet and listened to him teach, but Martha was so worried and anxious about serving him perfectly. And Jesus told her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Or think of Elijah, who prophesied a drought and called fire down from heaven and stood against hundreds of false prophets and saw miracle after miracle. And then Jezebel pursues him in order to kill him. And he is so overcome with fear and anxiety. He literally says, I would rather die. He said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Or Jeremiah, who was called to prophesy against Israel, and he was so burdened for his people, he said this, my joy is gone, my grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night. Even Paul in Philippians 2, he says that he's anxious for the church in Philippi. And he doesn't say that in a redemptive way. He just, he's like literally just confessing, I'm anxious for the church in Philippi. That's when he sends Timothy and Epaphroditus to them. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about the daily pressure he feels and his anxiety for all the churches. Again, he's expressing that in a negative light. I have anxiety for all these churches. Here's my point. Different circumstances, sure, but the same human nature for you and so many children of God before you. It's the same vulnerability to the crushing weight of anxiety, not because you did anything wrong, but because you live in a post-Genesis 3 world, somewhere between the first and second coming of Jesus. And in this space, anxiety is woven into the fabric of fallen humanity. But that leads us to the challenge of scripture. So now part, part one is validating the feeling of anxiety, but part two is challenging the thought. Uh, to preface what I'm about to say, the next few points, let me try to unpack it like this. I think that there has been a pendulum swing culturally that has gone something like this. Like a lot of people my age or older, I grew up in a really well-intentioned church culture that was highly evangelical and very Bible-based, but it didn't seem to utilize many tools in the spiritual formation or discipleship toolbox. So the sentiment, though it wasn't necessarily said, the sentiment was like this. Oh, you're anxious? Okay, read Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, that'll fix you. Oh, you're worried? Okay, pray about it, that'll fix you. Nobody said therapy was wrong, but it was definitely taboo. Now that was clearly unhelpful, and fortunately I think we're past it, but the pendulum is nearing the other extreme to my best assessment. To where at least for, for me and people in my generation, the sentiment sounds a little more like this. I have anxiety and nobody can tell me anything about it, especially a pastor, especially Matthew 6, especially Philippians 4. I don't want to hear it. It's like in the much needed awakening of mental health concern, which is fantastic. I say yes and amen to that. I do worry that anxiety has become its own kind of unfalsifiable claim. That means it's not open to any kind of challenge. And again, depending on where you're at on that spectrum of severity, this could be more or less legitimate because different kinds of challenge could be more or less legitimate for you. But the problem I see is that a lot of people, especially those who are not on the clinically diagnosable side of the spectrum, are convinced that they have much less control than they do over their anxious thoughts. And so I worry that as a culture, we are over borrowing legitimacy from the actual clinical disorder to justify our own resignation to the destructive thoughts and behaviors that we can control. So I think Jesus would 1000% validate your experience of anxiety. He would validate the feeling. There's a lot to be anxious about. 
There's a lot to be, be nervous and apprehensive and worried about. No, you're not a failure. No, you're not alone. But that doesn't mean that anxiety is God's design and intention for your life. It wasn't part of our story in Genesis 1 and 2. And I think that's always what he's after, reclaiming and redeeming us as the people that he made us to be. Not because then we'll make him proud or then he'll be pleased with us, but because that's the fullness of life that he designed for us and he longs for us to walk in it. So Jesus says it, simple and brief, like keep your eye on the ball. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. Well, how, Jesus, how do I do this? So look at his advice. He gives a couple pieces. He says, one, look at the birds. And he kind of compares us to them. And he says, then consider the lilies, consider the flowers, compares us to them. So one thing is this provides perspective by comparing us to something that's less valuable than us. It's a lesser to greater argument. So here's the treatment that X things get, and here's the value that they have. Okay, here's your value compared to their value. So here's the treatment you should expect. It makes sense. But it also explains a lot of, I think, our controllable anxiety by asking these two basic questions. One, what are you looking at? Two, what are you thinking about? What are you looking at and what are you thinking about? It's just interesting to me that his first two uh, anecdotes, pieces of uh, counsel for escaping anxiety is to say, look here, think about this. Makes me think of in Hebrews where we hear to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that word there is this word that implies to, to have your, your gaze fixed on Jesus is to look at him in a way that you're not looking at anything else. That, to me, has so much power. The, the imagery of that word, to look at this one single thing and not look at anything else. As he says, look at the birds, consider the flowers. He's saying, look at God's faithfulness. Look at how he cares for the birds who are so much less valuable than you. Look at how he clothes and cares for the lilies of the field that are so much less valuable than you. So as we continue to move on, would you just think, maybe pause there for a minute and, and think about that. What am I looking at? What am I thinking about? I mean, literally, if you're feeling today the, the crushing weight your vulnerability to anxiety, maybe ask yourself, what is it that I'm looking at? Literally, what is getting my attention? What is in front of my gaze? What is my gaze fixed on? What am I thinking about? What do the filters uh, for the intake of my mind look like? And then, almost as if to guide these two questions, Jesus says four more ideas that really lock it in. He says, worry doesn't add any value. Right? So a very pragmatic, kind of a return on investment approach to the idea of worrying. He says, who can, by worrying, add, a span of, uh, add an hour to your span of life? So it just does no good. It doesn't add any value. Second, he says, God knows what you need. So often the reason we're anxious or the reason we're worried is because, we, truthfully, we do not trust that God sees or knows or gets what's happening. Like if we're honest, I think a, a big first step for us could be just to admit, I don't trust you right now, God. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I just, I truly don't. So for us to hear, God knows you need these things. Well, that's pretty significant. And then he says, third, he says, seek the kingdom. 
seek his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, so seek the kingdom. And then last, he says, basically focus on today. Very Epicurean in some way, or was Epicurean being Christ-like in that moment? I don't know. Focus on today. Saying tomorrow, today has enough trouble of, of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow quite yet. What I want us to notice, and then we'll, we'll close with two thoughts. What I want us to notice is that the way Jesus talks about anxiety and worry here is just that it's not very simple or singular. He doesn't just talk about trusting God, but he talks about disciplining your mind. He talks about controlling the filters of what you look at and what you think about. And then not only do we have his teaching, but we have the rhythms of his life to look at. And we get to see exactly how he battled against anxiety and worry for himself. And just how integrated all of that was. The way he rested physically, mentally, emotionally. The way that he cared for his body. The way he prioritized his relationships. The way he refused to live in a constant state of hurry and busyness. It's funny, we can read through the gospel sometimes and see, okay, here's a scene after scene after scene. Okay, Jesus was so busy, it's insane. But then also to think that was the span of three years. And yeah, there's a lot that wasn't written and documented, but for that span of three years, there was so much time where he was just walking and he was just sleeping. He was just being with his friends, enjoying good food and good company. There was so much pace of rest and health in how he lived. I say that because I think a lot of our pain around the topic of anxiety is often because we just want to put it in one category. So then we can kind of nail it with a finger and kind of say, okay, here's, here's the quick fix. Either it's all spiritual or it's all physical or it's all mental and it's all emotional. And so then that's where the, the hurt comes in and the disagreement comes in because I feel like it's entirely mental or emotional. And then he's saying it's spiritual. Okay, that hurts. Or I'm saying it's all physical and they're saying it's all mental and that doesn't line up. I just don't know that Jesus does that. I think Jesus wants to address the whole person. So that's point one there under that second part. Point one is adopt a whole person approach to anxiety. As part of challenging the thoughts that lead to anxiety, I'd say adopt a whole person approach to anxiety. I think God addresses us with this kind of language again and again throughout scripture. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Romans 12.1 says, present your what as a living sacrifice? Your body, literally the physicality of who you are. Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewal of your, your mind. Galatians 5.25 says, live by the spirit. God addresses us as whole people, minds, heart, soul, body. So I love how Rebecca Lyons talks about this. She wrote a book called Rhythms of Renewal. She offers a fourfold framework to controlling what you can control. And she kind of argues that this is what Jesus exemplified so ultimately and perfectly, this way of living. And it's all so beautifully integrated. So these four points, she says, one, you need rest. This is literal and metaphorical and physical and everything. You need to practice a, a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, of resting, of giving up control over your productivity and just stopping, silencing the noise. We have access to so much information. I, I'll geek out too much, I, I can't. But silence the noise, the intake of, of info that you get, the digital noise, the digital clutter in your life. Literally just get better sleep. Figure that out and, and prioritize it. 
It's funny, after when Elijah was so scared he wanted to die as Jezebel was pursuing him, you know what happened? God was like, you need to take a nap and eat some food. Elijah, he literally, he laid down, took a nap under a tree, and then an angel came to visit him, and he said, wake up and eat. Now, that's not the whole point of the trajectory of that story, but it's just like a, it's a funny kind of interesting note. Like, he's in this spot of just overwhelming anxiety, and it's like, here, take a nap and eat some good food. Number two, she says to restore. That is a rhythm to renew you. Restore, that means just doing fun things. Literally breaking a sweat. Doing things that kind of get your body going and moving, eating well. Things that do the right things for the chemicals in your body to go the right places at the right time. She says connecting. Means being a good friend, practicing hospitality, investing in your marriage, investing in your relationships. And last she says to create, to be someone who's, who's making something, who's working with your hands, who's engaging passions that you have. And, and I say this not to try to suggest any like single quick fix as much as just a way of thinking about it. For me, on, on maybe the lesser severe side of the anxiety spectrum, I can look at this and I can find, uh, I can find tweaks to make and I can find adjustments and realize, okay, I'm, I'm a higher stress person this month than last month. Well, I just haven't been sleeping that well. I've been eating unwisely. I haven't been honestly paying attention to relationships. Like there's tweaks I can find but maybe it's not that easy and I don't wanna make it sound like it is. These aren't quick fixes, but just maybe a, a way of thinking about it, to realize that you are a whole person and I think God intends for you to be whole, to live as a whole person. One, adopt a whole person approach to anxiety. And two, last point I'll say is that you need to drop shame and pick up help. Drop shame and pick up help. Matt Chandler said, the worst thing you can do with fear and anxiety is pretend that you're strong and you don't have it. So then I think cliches are usually cliche because they're usually true. So if I think back to my coach saying, keep your eye on the ball, as unhelpful as it feels, it's probably what I actually needed to hear. That's why we keep saying it. The reason Jesus says so simply, don't be anxious, is not because he doesn't get it. It's not because he's being overly simplistic or reductive. He gets it. Oh, man, does he get it. And yet he wants to call us out of it. He wants to challenge us. He wants us to drop the shame and pick up help. And I hope it's clear that that help for you might look totally different than someone else around you. Depending on where you're at on that spectrum, that help for you might look totally different. But I know for all of us, it starts with talking about it. Talking about it with someone you trust, someone you love, and literally taking a step towards some kind of help, whatever that is. Maybe it's reading this Rebecca Lyons book and just seeing where are the tweaks I might need to make in my rhythm because I think I can control this. I think I can make some tweaks and adjustments that help this. Or maybe for you, it's just realizing, okay, there's, there's trauma. There has been abuse. There are things in my life that have equaled this result. And I don't know. I think this is a body reaction that's beyond my control. And then you, you talk to someone about that. Talk to someone you trust. Therapists and doctors and friends and pastors, whoever. Get the help that you need. And then I would just close with this one question. 
sort of to frame the way we think about it, no matter where you're at, no matter what the, the level of wrestling and struggle is that you feel around the topic of anxiety and worry, one question to frame how you think about it, and then we'll close. Ask yourself, what if my anxiety is an invitation to greater intimacy with God? What if my anxiety is an invitation to greater intimacy with God? Let's pray, and after we pray, I'm gonna read one quick passage, and then we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, we wanna commit ourselves to you, and we wanna thank you for speaking um, clear, simple truth into our lives, even on something that's so, uh, so nuanced and deep and even complicated. Father, thanks for speaking truth into that. Thank you, Father, for, for knowing how we feel, for seeing us, for promising that you know we need these things. Lord, for even the comparison to the birds and to the flowers, just this clear picture. God, you, you value us so much. Father, would you take the, the controllable doubts and worry, worrisome thought patterns that lead to anxiety, take the things like that. Father, would you, would you speak against them? Would you tell us truth that combats lies that we believe? Lord, would you do that in us? Would you instill in us as people all throughout our church, give us the, the right next steps, the right clarity and courage to talk about what we need to talk about with the right people? And Lord, would you lead us toward healing? No matter where we're at, God, we want to be a step closer to healing and wholeness in Jesus as we leave today. God, we trust you. We love you. We want to follow you closer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read Psalm 121 over us, and then we'll close. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let my foot be moved. He who keeps me will not slumber. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade on my right hand. The sun shall not strike me by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep me from all evil. He will keep my life. The Lord will keep my going out and my coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.